How many of you know we talked last week? When the children of Israel started to multiply, it made the devil noivous. Y'all with me on that? When the children of Israel multiplied, that's when the Egyptians got really nervous, and that's when all hell broke loose. But I'm telling you, it's good to give the devil a headache. And I shared last week, there's only two schools of mathematics. There's Satan's school of mathematics. There's God's school of mathematics. Satan's school of mathematics focuses on, uh, on subtraction and division. God's school of mathematics majors on addition and multiplication. And I ask you to, to examine your heart because how many of you know wherever God's people go, we add value to people and we multiply the glory of the Lord. Wherever people go that are not controlled by the Holy Spirit, they cause division and subtraction. I want to ask you, what kind of math have you been practicing? Are you adding value to people or are you pulling people down? Are you blessing people or are you subtracting from people? Are you growing people or are you killing people? And many times our words have the ability to either bring great blessing or great destruction. I want to encourage you, use those words to bring life to people. Amen? Last week we talked about multiplication involves a change in thinking. I really want you to shift from seeing yourself as the primary responsible person for doing all that you do to beginning to shift your thinking and to realize you're called to multiply yourself. Now, I had this revelation. I'm going to help some parents out here. Sometimes moms try to be super mom. Anybody got a super mom in your family? Don't raise your hand. But super moms do this. They're the ones that cook all the food, do all the wash, put away all the dishes, load the dishwasher, sweep the floor. Um, Super moms do it all, okay? Now, the problem with being a super mom is, first of all, you're robbing your children of learning how to do the very things you do so well. And usually the reason you won't let them do it is because you do it better than them. And it irritates you when the dishwasher is not loaded properly. Let me give you a revelation. 80% clean dishes that you didn't load is better than 100% clean dishes you did load. And I had this revelation one day, and this, I'm not being critical of my wife, but my wife was a hero instead of being a hero maker. She was the hero mom. And you know what? She was worn out. She was tired. We had eight kids at home. The house, when I would get home, would usually be in some state of disarray, not because she was not working her tail off. It's because we had eight kids that were not doing squat. And I had this revelation one day. We have an unbelievable workforce under our roof. It was like a light went off. I said, we have an unemployment problem in our house. (laughs) These are able-bodied people that are doing nothing. Well, I'm married to a woman who is worn out, stressed out, tired, burdened, because she was the hero. Have you all figured out? Let me just say this. This happens in churches in America. They make the pastor the hero. Pastor does everything. Baptizes. Praise for the sick, hospital visitation, preach the message, lead the life group, cut the lawn, water the plants. I mean, you know, the pastor does it. And then, and then the church folks say something like this. Well, that's what we pay you to do, isn't it? I turned in my cape three weeks ago. Because listen to me, you don't want to be a part of a church like that because I'll tell you what you're going to have. You're going to have a tired, frustrated, burned out 
pastor that's been put on a pedestal. And you know what happens when you put people on pedestals? They have a propensity to fall off. So here's what we're going to be doing around here. We ain't turning into heroes. We're turning into hero makers. We're going to shift our thinking into realizing that, you know what? All of you have been called by God and given incredible gifting. You guys got to help me out a little bit this morning. We had a man testify from the encounter this morning, came up here, Pastor Dick, it was beautiful, heart gush, and he's baby Christian, but he said, you know what, I know God has a calling on my life. That was the most profound revelation. Do you know that God has a calling on your life? Do you know that when God saved you, he saved you on purpose, for a purpose, his purpose, and that you're called to be in the game? (laughs) All right, Lord, help me this morning. Raise the bar, Father, raise the bar, all right. Now, that should excite you, but if it's not exciting you, I've got some work to do, but that's okay. I'm going to do some work this morning, because when it really gets to be exciting is when everybody's engaged, locked arms with Jesus, and pursuing God's purposes for us corporately and for our lives individually. How many of you know, this is what happens every Sunday afternoon in households all across America. People sit down, and they watch 11 people on each team, 22 people, play in front of last night. If, if you had watched the Penn State game, it was the largest college crowd in the history of college crowds. There was over 110,000 people. 110,000 people watching 22 people work their tail ends off, collide, run, blood, sweat, tears. 22 people being watched by 110,000 people being watched by another millions of people on television. That's a picture of church. That's a picture of most church, churches in America. 110,000 people in the stands, handful of people sweating it out, and then other people watching online at their convenience. How many of you know we'll never win that way? What happens, though, last week, this was so awesome. Last week, nobody was in their chair at the end of service. What happened at the end of last service? We had this army that surrounded, and we were all engaged, we were all up, and at the end, I just stood in the middle, it was such a beautiful sight, and I just looked at everybody, nobody was, nobody was seated, y'all remember that, if, if you were not here last week, you got to get online and check out the, 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 the podcast on, on YouTube, you got to watch it, because it was a picture of, of what God's saying, if I could just get my church engaged, uh, deployed, um, everybody doing their sweet spot, everybody growing, everybody hands-on. We would take over the continent. We would take over the globe. The cosmos would be ours in Jesus' name. That was God's vision. And so we said last week, we got to shift our thinking that it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about my ministry. It's about him. It's about what he's doing through all of us. It's multiplication. And that God's going to provide us with every single thing that we need if we'll trust him. So today I want to shift our thinking to talking about, not a change rather in thinking, but to the second principle of hero making, which involves a shift in seeing. Everybody say seeing. It involves changing the way we see things. I shared with you last week, you know, Jesus blew the disciples' minds because he took a bunch of blue-collar fishermen and he said to them, I want you to be my witnesses, and you're going to go into the uttermost parts of the world. And these guys hadn't left their, sh- their fishing village for most of their lives. They hadn't gone anywhere. Jesus said, you're going to go to the nations. Now, not literally them. Some of them did. But through their seed and their seed and their seed and multiplication and multiplication. How many of you know the gospel is spreading now across the nations of the world? And I'm just going to tell you this. 
We are an unstoppable force. Aren't you glad you're part of a winner? Everybody say winner, okay? We've been Bears fans for so long, we don't know what to do when we win. All right, I'm just telling you, we need to develop a winning mentality. We are on Christ's team. We win. This is going global. You can't stop us. I'm thinking that song can't stop this, but anyway, I can't. You want to sing that, Brian? No, you don't want to sing it. All right, forget that. That just came out of my spirit. We are unstoppable. We're the church. When you have that mentality in your, in your mind, it changes the way you go about your life. Well, I want to shift this morning to do a shift in the way we see things. How about this? Instead of being focused on my gifts, who I am, what God's called me to do, what if we turned our thinking outward again and we developed spiritual eyes to look into the people around us and to call forth what we see in them? What we see in you. This is what I see when I'm around you. This is what I see when, I'm, when, when I watch you in action. And what, what if we would begin to ask God to help us grow people? What if we begin to say, Lord, who is it that I can invest my life in to see them become everything you intended for them to be? I mean, you know, it's a su- subtle shift here. Again, from me again to you. From, from my ministry to what God's trying to do in you from my healing into how I can be a part of your healing. Does this make sense? From my equipping to seeing you be equipped. And really that's the essence of ministry is getting our eyes off of us where I have to have a title. I have to have a position. I have to have a platform. I got to have, you know, my own 501c3. Stop it. Get your eyes again off of your gifting and begin to pull out the gifting in other people. This is where life gets to be really, really exciting and really fun. And here's the other thing. When you begin to see the gifts in other people, they're looking for someone to believe in them and give them permission. Everybody say permission. Permission Permission is so big. You know, when your child goes off to driver's ed and they pass the exam, all right, and they're now legally, potentially roadworthy. I say potentially roadworthy. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And... Nothing really happens or becomes actualized until you hand them the keys to the car. And then you don't micromanage them. You let them, how about this, when you go out on your first trip solo. (laughs) When those keys, Lynn, leave dad's hands, it's like he's saying, I believe in you. (laughs) And, And when they slide out and you walk away, and you turn around and you're walking back to the house and you're going, God, please surround 10,000 upon thousands of angels surround my son or daughter as they're driving that car. But there's something when your dad hands you the keys that says, I believe that you're ready, even when you don't feel like you're ready. How many of you know we need people to believe in us? We need people to encourage us. We need people to say, hey, you know, you've never tried that before. Where's Nick and Shay? Are Nick and Shay here today? Nick. You know, you had, a, you had a dream. You wanted to love on people. You weren't sure how that was going to work out. And you didn't go to school for this. And, you know, there's no special courses on how to love people and open up your home. He did go to the Roar, though. That was, that was good. All right, so he got Bible training. And, and you've been walking with God. You got a good heart. You got good character. But here's the point. We have to be able to tell people, go for it. And then when they fall, if they fall, that's okay. I mean, no, failure isn't fatal. Be in that environment of people that are full of grace that pick you up, that pat you on the behind and say, come on, let's go try it again. This is what the church is supposed to be like. Most of us don't get involved in any kind of touching other people, reaching other people, ministry to other people because we're afraid we might not do it all exactly right. 
Can I give you a little revelation? Nobody would be ministering anywhere if they waited till they were absolutely sure they could get it all right. And then if they, if they were absolutely sure they were going to get it all right, they'd be guilty of the sin of pride and God would smack them right down instantly and they'd fail. All right? God doesn't call us because we're capable. He calls us because we're available. He calls us because we're willing to say, well, Lord, I, you know, I'll let you, you I'll, I'll use what you've given me and I'll see how this thing works out. How I many of you know in the Bible there's an amazing story about a woman who had just lost her husband and she was in such a bad place financially that the creditors were coming in. They were going to take her kids and they were going to uh, basically turn them into indentured servants so that they, this woman could pay her bills, which she could no longer pay. Her husband had passed away. She had no way to make a, a, an honorable living, all right, in those days. And so what happens? She calls Elisha, the prophet, up. Elisha comes over and Elisha does something strange. This woman has got nothing and she is is this far from losing her kids who are most precious to her. She loses her kids. And what happens? The prophet, the man of God, comes in and says, what do you have? Now, that seems like a very stupid, insensitive question for an incredibly godly, prophetic man to, to ask that question. But it's interesting because she didn't say, I don't have anything. You know, why are you asking me that dumb question? What did she say? She said, all I have is this little flask of oil. Remember that story? Listen to me. God will never ask you to give what you don't have. God always asks you to give what's in your hand. And if you can believe that if you'll give what's in your hand, God will multiply that in ways that are beyond your wildest dreams. Most of us, though, will not let go of the tiny little thing we got in our grubby little hands because at least it's mine and it's in my hand. It's all I got left. But you never move into multiplication and you never move into permission-granting faith where we're able to step out and risk if if we're not able to open up our hands. And how many of you know as soon as she did, miracle happened and God took care of everything. God took care not only of her present, but God took care of her future. That's the power of believing that if we just give to the Lord what is in our hands, he can do amazing things with it. Now this is interesting. You remember when Jesus uh, was talking with Peter and some of the disciples, Jesus use this principle right here. I'm calling it the permission granting what do you see in me principle. There are people around us. How many know there are young believers who are feeling like, you know, I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I'm smart enough. I don't know if I'm gifted enough. Who am I? What do I have to offer? Has anybody ever asked those questions in your life? Isn't it amazing when God puts some hero makers around you because they go up to you and they say, you know what? That first Sunday when you're up there hitting the keys and, and you know, you're, you're supposed to be singing but very little was coming out of your lips because you're so nervous. And somebody came up to you and said, that was powerful. Thank you for sharing your gift. That was amazing. You keep, you, you keep playing because I really see in you that God could take that gift and if you keep using it, there's no end to what God wants to do in you. How many of you know that person just breathed oxygen into that person's life? I mean, oh, you just felt like it. Because somebody, somebody older than you, more mature than you says, I see potential in you. When we hand over the keys of ministry to people, you know, we got, what, how many people right now in Cambodia? 13 people in Cambodia, most of them are in their early 20s. Now, what are they doing over there? They're planning a church. Do they know how to do that? Probably not. They've, they've never done it before. But you know what? There's 500 plus people here that said this when we laid our hands on them. We believe in you. Here's the keys. Go have fun. All right? Go have fun. You know, when my mom and dad were called to plant this work, are you kidding me? They ran from this with everything in their heart. They didn't want to do this. 
There's a football coach, school teacher, homemaker. But they said, God, uh, we've never done this before, but somebody prophesied. Somebody saw something that they did not see in themselves. We need hero makers around us who believe in us. We need people who will call forth destiny in our lives by what they see. So Jesus says this. You remember this in the Bible? Jesus said this to Peter. He said, Peter, um, who do folks say that I am? Remember that story? Oh, let me, let me paraphrase it. Hey, Peter, what do you see in me? What do you see in me, Peter? And Peter goes, well, you know, some people say you're a good leader, Jesus. Okay? Some people, Jesus, they liken you to like Elijah. They, they consider you a prophet. How I many you know that, that is a, a very limited view of who Jesus really was? So they were seeing through a glass darkly, all right? They weren't seeing Jesus for who he was. But Peter had a revelation by the Holy Spirit. And Peter said, but Jesus said, hey, Peter, what do you see in me? This is what Peter said. You're the Christ, the anointed one, the son of God. And Jesus goes, bingo, you got it. bingo, <laughs> the pride. That's all right. Hey, I appreciate that. He got it. Yes, come on. I see something in you that nobody else is seeing right now. And then I want you to see what happened. Jesus flipped, flipped the shoes on Peter, and he goes, Peter, let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what I see in you. He said, your name means pebble. A little pebble. He said, but I don't, I don't see a pebble. He said, you know what I see, Peter? A massive rock. In fact, I see something so big. I see something foundational. I see that what you carry on your life is so awesome that this can be a cornerstone of an entire movement that's going to shape the world. I see in you, even though I got to pull your stinking foot out of your mouth every other chapter in the Bible, I see in you, even though last week you called down fire from heaven and you wanted to burn up everybody that disagreed with us, um, okay, in spite of all that, I see in you, Yep, in spite of the fact that you were so cocky and you're going you're gonna to stand up for me and then you deny me three times, I know that's all coming. But right now, here's what I see in you. I see somebody that's going to take my message and be a witness for me. I see somebody, you know, in Peter's story, as history tells it, Peter was forced to watch his own wife be crucified in front of his eyes. Peter was the one who, after they did that to him, said, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same way Jesus was, and Peter was crucified upside down. Aren't you glad that somebody looked through Peter who was clueless as to who he really was, but somebody with heaven's eyes said, this is what I see in you. And listen, when people are in an atmosphere, an environment where people believe in them, there is no end to what those people can accomplish in God. You know what? Our churches should be the most faith-filled, permission-granting, dream-inspiring, believing, encouraging, loving, committed-to-people success. It should not be marked by gossip, unbelief, negativity, murmuring. You know, listen to me. If you got time to be doing all that, you should focus on the disgruntled heart that you have and why you're still wounded and hurt, so much so that you cannot see out of your own pain to lift somebody else up, that you're constantly involved in satanic mathematics. You need to get yourself healed. 
You're worth more than that. And you have a destiny better than that. And God's vision for you is better than that. Elevate your game. Let's go. Elevate your game. That should not be happening in God's house. This should be a place of supernatural envisioning. This should be a place where normal flesh and blood, jars of clay people rise to do supernatural, awesome things to the glory of God. Nothing is impossible for us. Are you kidding me? But when Peter saw who Jesus was, he declared it with his mouth and something powerful happened. It's not enough for us to look around at people and see these amazing gifts sitting around us and just keep it inside of ourselves. How many of you know you got to take the next step? You got to open your mouth you got to see somebody that's struggling and say, hey, I just want you to know I believe in you and your best days are around the corner. This is not the end. I believe in you. God is for you. We're for you. Come on. This, is a, this should be a place where people have chains broken off of them, mental chains broken off of them, where we are permission granters. We're handing out keys of the kingdom all the time. We don't have time to get... A, around negativity and gossip and disunity and all these other things. That's not part of the kingdom of God. Life is too short. Jesus looked at these 12 men who remembered two of them were working with mama to get the best seats in heaven next to Jesus on his throne. I mean, this group was, they're normal. They're, they're, they're like us. And Jesus said this, basically, I'm paraphrasing. All you guys that can't figure out half the time which foot goes in front of the next, you can't chew gum and walk at the same time, you're fighting amongst yourself, I just do a miracle and two seconds later you're struggling with unbelief. You guys, you're going to take my message around the nations of the world. And you're going to, oh, and by the way, I'm leaving. See ya. What? Remember they were standing there? What? Where did he go? I think I see him. Remember the angels had to say, he's gone. Let's get about your father's business. It's amazing to me that Jesus would entrust us with the planet. Now, he helped us out with the Holy Ghost, and he's supposed to be helping us out with each other. I don't know about you, but I'm grateful for people in my life that believe in me. I'm grateful for people that say, you know what, you can do it. You know what, I'm grateful for people that say, Pastor, have you thought about doing this? Or have you thought about expressing gifting this way? Because what it does is it says, really? I never, I never saw that about me. I never, I never felt like I could do that. I never felt like I had it in me. Man, we just need somebody that's got heaven's eyes to see and that has the courage to put some words to what we just saw. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about simple little things. I'm talking about just telling somebody, for instance, you know, I see this gift in you, or I see God at work in you when you do such and such. It's, it's really simple. It's just believing in somebody. You know, Jesus, and I know the PowerPoint, I, I'm sorry, Matthew, because I'm everywhere this morning, so don't even try to catch up. But, but this is what Jesus said to these fishermen. He said, come and follow me, I'm going to transform you into men who will catch people for God. Isn't that awesome? Yes. These are fishermen. They're not, they, no rabbi was walking around saying, hey, come into my rabbinical school. Nobody was inviting these guys. But Jesus saw something in them. 
And can you imagine when Peter's there with his fishing net and Jesus comes up and he says, I want you to follow me, which was, I'm inviting you to come into my rabbinical school and to learn of me and to, and to study under me. And Peter's like, who's he talking to? He looks to the right. All he sees is, an, is a sea, an ocean. You're talking to me? Jesus is like, yeah, follow me. What they do? They drop their nets. They follow Jesus. I love the way the, the message translation says this. Jesus says, come with me. I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. Don't you love the message Bible? Come on. Any fisherman out there, if you were used to catching perch and bass, and Jesus said, I'm going to teach you to catch men and women, you'd be like, whoa, this is awesome. But if we're honest, you know, I'm looking back there, and I won't mention any names, but I have a dear brother with me, and, and, and as I share this, you will understand because you will remember this moment. But I just want you to know, every Sunday, I do my best to inspire you. Okay? I do my best. I just want you to know that. So if you leave here depressed, I'm sorry. I failed. All right? But I have to tell you, I'm trying to inspire you to great things in God. That's my heart. So I preach this message. I preach this message on the war horse, all right? The war horse. It was about these horses that are trained for battle, and they run to the sound of the battle, and they're full of courage, and they snort, they smell the enemy, and they they hear the clanking of the swords, and they run off into battle. Anybody remember that series? It was a great series. I was so inspired by that series. Okay, nobody. Great. All right. Um, (laughs) And I had a brother come up to me after church. I thought I was so inspiring. And he said, Pastor, you're challenging us to be war horses, and I feel like a circus pony. <laughs> now that is a good picture. You're, you're inspiring me to be this muscly, ripped stallion, pouncing at the ground, can't wait to go after the enemy, snorting, that smell, the smell of victory in my nose, and I feel like a worn-out, stinking circus pony that nobody really cares to see. Anybody ever feel that way? <laughs> Let me just tell you, if you feel that way, and here I'm calling you to greatness, right? What do you need? You need some people to see the same thing I am. How you know we need people in our churches that see the way God sees, that choose to believe what God says, that choose to believe that people are precious to God, that people have an eternal calling on their lives, that people have incredible gifts that they've been given, that they just need to be loved. You know, we prayed for some people this morning. You know, I just have to say this. You know, some people come from homes that are just demonic. I mean, there's no other words around it. It's just demonic. The things we hear, the, the words, you know, spoken from parents over children, the, the, the mean things that, that families do to one another. I mean, just, just sick stuff. And I know of of people that are in relationships, uh, marriage relationships. Uh, Let me just tell you, when we rip apart, we tear down, we attack, uh, we say horrific things, we cuss cuss our spouse out. I'm just telling you, that does not have anything to do with the kingdom of heaven. I mean, that that is straight from the pit of hell. And you know that when you, you know, when I married this woman, I married her because what I saw in her. I fell in love with who she was. I mean, you know, they talk about love, the power of love. I mean, you might not have seen the same thing because she, she wasn't yours, but she was mine. And 
when I see that in her, and that now that I'm married to her, my job is to keep affirming her, to keep telling her what I see in her. I love this about you. You are so good at this. I love the way you do this, the way you care for our kids, the way you care for me. I'm so honored to be your husband. What am I doing? I'm, I'm calling forth the destiny of this woman because every man, every man wants to be married to a queen, but we treat her like a circus pony. We want a queen, but somewhere along the line, we stopped seeing who this woman is and the treasure that God's put within her. And then we stopped telling her that and calling it forth. Now, she does the same thing to me. At my lowest points in life, I just wanted someone that believed that that God was going to use me, that God loved me, that, 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 that somebody believed in me. And I had a woman who would constantly tell me, I'm with you. I don't care what's going on. I'm with you. I'm proud to be your wife. And I would tell my wife, hey, if I had to choose you all over again, I'm declaring this. What am I doing? I'm I'm saying what I see in her. I'm giving her permission to be all that God's called her to be. I would marry you all over in a second. I'm so grateful for your life. I don't know who I would be apart from you. I don't know what my life would be like apart from you. I tell her that all the time. What am I doing? She's crying right now. That wasn't a gimmick. That's because I just fed her heart. Because I told her the truth about herself. When a man is willing to speak life out of his wife and see something in her and tell her how precious she is, how good she is, how talented she is, how smart she is, what a great mom she is. What happens? She rises to a whole nother level of who God's called her to be. That's the power of our words spoken from a sincere heart, spoken in love. It adds value to people's life. It says, I believe in you. I trust you. I'm with you. I'm handing her the keys to my life. And let me just tell you this. I'm wrapping up. Most of us are afraid to hand keys over to other people because we're afraid they're not ready. And sometimes they're not. We need, we need to be wise. But can I just tell you this? You know, I'll just be real, okay? Dads, I'm trying to help us out here. Don't put an unrealistic expectation on a 20-year-old young man who would love to be married to your daughter because you're going to ask him to pull out his spreadsheet and look at his portfolio at the age of 21 and see if he's financially capable of sustaining uh, your daughter's hand in marriage. Because let me ask you this question. Were you ready at the age of 20 or in your early 20s? Did, did you have your 501k you know, socked away? Did you have your college education in the bank ready for the five kids before they were even conceived? Are you nuts? I had my, all of my belongings fit in a four-door Chevy Chevette hatchback. All of them. But this is what I look for in a young man. Is your heart pursuing Jesus? Do you have character? Do you have integrity? How do you treat your mama? How do you treat your mama? And listen, I can look into the eyes of a young man and into the heart of a young man, and I can see 
destiny, and I can see who you are, and I'm not letting you marry my daughter based upon who you are, because that would be unfair, because nobody's like Jesus at the age of 20. But I'm going to look through you and see your trajectory in God, and I know who God's called you to be, and I can hand you the keys to my daughter's heart. Um, I think we do this. I hear hear couples say this. Well, you know, we're not ready to start our family yet. Are you practicing? Just had to throw that one out. I hope you're practicing. Uh, What are you waiting for? Any Cub fans in here? Does anybody remember when Ryan Sandberg, anybody remember Rhino? I remember when Rhino signed his gazillion dollar contract back in the day. It's paltry now, but it, it was millions. And this is what he said. I remember listening to this on the radio. I can now go to sleep at night knowing that my family is provided for. I could sleep at night too with $150 million in the bank. I just laughed. Here I am, a father, trying to raise eight kids And I'm glad that Rhino can sleep at night because he just signed his 50 gazillion dollar contract. Hey, glad for you, buddy. Hate to see you losing any sleep. Are you nuts? Sometimes these people forget that the people paying those salaries are are blue-collar, hard-working guys that get up and work their butt off every day and are trying to make ends meet. Those are the guys paying those salaries. But that's a side note, and I'm not, I don't know if that was inspired or not. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. So here's the deal. If you're waiting... To have a gift from God, which is what we just talked about. Until you have enough money in the bank, you are never going to have children. When do you have enough? But the moment you get in covenant with the king of glory, he has enough. Can I just tell you this? I do not have my kids' college education sitting in a bank account. But you know what I have? I got the owner of the universe that's in covenant with me, and every week I have to believe him to provide in supernatural ways for the well-being of the children he blessed me with. Now, it's a little bit messier that way. It's a little bit more anxiety that way because God's trying to kill me. But if I let him father me, I see that I walk in supernatural blessing, and guess what my kids are, are prosperous. My kids have what they need. Can we stop this game of waiting somehow to go do something great for the kingdom of God until we feel like we're ready? Let me ask you this question. Was Moses ready? Moses argued with God and said, oh God, you might not know this about me, <laughs> um, but I don't speak real well. The dude's out in the backside of the desert for 50 years or whatever, 40 years. Why was he out there? Because he was trying to convince God that he really didn't have what it took. Here's the fact of the matter. He didn't have what it took, but he had God. And God was wanting to throw him out there. How about Gideon? The angel of the Lord shows up. Mighty man of valor. Gideon's peeing down his leg, literally. He's hiding from the enemy. He's a chicken. But God called him a mighty man of valor. How about Peter? Foot and mouth Peter. Was he ready? How about Paul? Was Paul ready? How about any of these people we read about in the Bible? I mean, who's ready? You know how I got started in ministry? Our house was full of people that had kids. My dad turns to me one day and says, all these people have kids. I'm like, I know, I'm 16 years old. 16 years old. My dad says to me, do something with them. (laughs) Can you narrow it down? 
you have any notes for me? Jim, you remember those days at our house? All these kids, Ellingson, you remember those days? Here was my launch into ministry. Do something. I was the Nike man before Nike was even cool. I got a prophetic word for all of you. Do something. Pastor, I don't know if I'm ready. You're not. Do it anyway. It's called on-the-job training. On-the-job stinking training. What, what happens when you're put in a situation that seems over your uh, readiness level? What, ha- what do you do? You get desperate for God. God's really smart. He knows that. So listen to me. He is always, if, it, if it's God, and I'm closing right here, if it's God, he will always be putting you in situations that are too big for you, and you're going, I'm over my head, and he's going, I know. <laughs> because what's he trying to do? He's after your heart. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Half the time, God has to literally scare the hell out of us before we spend time with him. Come on, yes. <laughs> Lynn's back there. I received that, Pastor. That's me. <laughs> you know what I'm talking I'm telling the truth here. So here's what I want you to do. Can you start seeing some things in your wife you've never seen? Wives, can I just share this? If you are Mrs. Nag, 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 and you wonder, why come my husband's never home? <laughs> you married Mr. Studmuffin back in the day. Remember those days? Why don't you tell him that? And I was out with my wife this week. She started doing the stuff back in the day. You know what she's doing? This little thing right here in the back of my neck. Before we were married, I'd be driving down the road, and she'd start doing that. That's why I got. That's why. That's why I got. I got speeding tickets. When she started doing that, that's like, that's my man. That's my man. He ain't got no more hair, but that's my man. Come on. Tell your husband what you appreciate about him. He might be doing 20 things wrong. He, I guarantee you he's doing something right. Find what he's doing right and tell him, you know what? I love it the way you do that. I love the way you see it. I love the way you are with the kids. I love, I love, I love, I, and I believe in you. You know, I'm just telling you, when my wife fills my tank with that kind of encouragement. I got the vacuum going, I'm running in the dishwasher. Yo, kids, let's go, let's get going. Hey, your mom's a queen, get to work here. I mean, all of a sudden, I'm a new man. What happened? I just got a woman who's treating me like the king of my house. So you know what I'm gonna start doing? I'm gonna start reigning in this place, all right? I'm gonna start acting like the king and I'm gonna start treating her like the queen and we're gonna live happily ever after. I mean. Let's start looking into people and seeing what's in them. Have you done this to your kids? Instead of, hey, you, stupid, yeah, yeah, you love, yeah, yeah. How about, man, you do such a great job. I've noticed this gifting on your life. God has graced you in this area. This is amazing. You are so talented in this area. God gave you those gifts. I know he's gonna use them for his glory. I believe in you. Hey, I know know you're gonna ace that test, man. I know you got it in you. Instead of, what'd you get on that test? No, believe in them. Call forth their destiny even when it might not be readily apparent to their teachers or anybody else at that moment. <laughs> Call forth their destiny. Come on, stand to your feet. Hey, I got, I got a word for all you all. I believe in you. And I believe God's going to do great things in you. And I believe us together, corporately, God has a great destiny on us. You're here for a reason.
I believe those of you that have called this place home, you're here for a reason. We value you. We're going to call forth and look into you and be a permission giver. Call forth the destiny in you. Anybody ready for that? All right, good. Father, in the name of Jesus, give us eyes to see. Give us a mind to think differently, eyes to see differently. God, turn us into an amazing company of hero makers for your glory. Bless these folks, Lord. May they be encouraged today. May they see differently today. May they step out even this week and start speaking destiny over people's lives. And God, may you use our mouths to be life-giving instead of creating death, to be, to be enabling, empowering instead of cursing, Lord. God, use us in amazing ways to love this planet. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.